Welcome to the Perspective List. Our agenda is to offer a perspective of the world that allows you to think more clearly as a Christian. We want the normativity of scriptures to be the starting point of everything we do. Thanks for joining the conversation. This is Season 2, Episode 6. I'm your host, Yuri Brito. Again, thanks to all the new subscribers to the podcast. Your $1 a month is contributing to cause of reformation and nacho quotes across the globe. For the subscribers, we have an overview of James Jordan's third chapter in 3UI's coming this early next week. So be prepared for that. And at the end, I'm going to join all these episodes together into one long episode so you can listen to an overview of all the chapters in the book in a short amount of time in summary fashion. Well, a lot has transpired in these last couple of weeks, including some festivities in our end. Our congregation just uh, celebrated our 20th anniversary as a church. And as our speaker, Douglas Wilson, rightly noted, we are still a year from being able to buy alcohol legally. Our young congregation, our young history, uh, means that we are slowly matriculating into life and its challenges. So remember Providence Church in Pensacola in prayer, if you will, please. That'll be very kind of you. But before all the celebratory salutes offered at our party, there was another exciting few days that I participated with a very fine group of scholars and politicians and clergy. By the very kind invitation of the hosts, I was invited to offer the invocation on day three of the National Conservative Conference in Miami, Florida. I was uh, really honored because I knew that there were national eyes pressing into that event. There were secular and evangelical leftists very curious to see what side effects this conference would have. And so, like a good joke, there was a Jewish rabbi, a Roman Catholic priest, and a pastor that walked into a very opulent and fancy hotel in one of the richest parts of the Miami area, Aventura. And I was the one responsible to offer a Protestant clergy prayer. Now, you know, these are meant as invocations. And one of my concerns was that there would be a tendency towards generalizations. And so I quickly inquired of the powers that be whether I would be compelled to offer a truncated prayer. And they very quickly assured me that my role was to pray Protestantly. And that I did. You can read my prayer in the show links. So I have six quick observations about what I experienced at NatCon as a participant, though I did not have a lecture slot. That's above my intellectual pay grade. The first thing is that I have prayed in uh, senatorial debates here in Florida. I have been privileged to pray in other political events, pro-life events, but this was the largest in terms of sheer numbers and the national attention placed on NatCon 2022 in Miami. There's a certain luxury to political events that are sometimes very hard to grasp. And I also understand, I'm not naive, I understand that the presence of governors and U.S. senators it demands a very high level of protection, but it's hard to overlook the sheer weightiness and wealth around that world. I was very much looking forward to one of the opportunities that arose in somewhat last minute to opening the 9-11 memorial evening for the governor's speech, the Santa speech with prayer, uh, but my flight arrived just a little too late, so they asked a rookie by the name of Albert Moeller to open things up. I had a chance to spend some time with Dr. Moeller at one of the after-party events in the Protestant side of things. And funny enough, our meeting took place 
a day after his brouhaha with Canon Plus over supposed copyright infringements. Of course, Canon Plus did everything accordingly, and I don't know why Moeller felt the need to disassociate himself from all things Moscow, Idaho, but uh, it was not his finest moment. Nevertheless, we had a good time sharing Pensacola stories together. Dr. Moeller has been here a few times, and we had a grand time, and I am very pleased with Dr. Moeller. His closing talk was fabulous, and I hope he'll continue to be a voice of sobriety in the age of insanity, especially in the Southern Baptist Convention. Also, kudos to Moeller as a good Southern Baptist who endured Anglicans and Presbyterians and even some rebel Baptists smoking and drinking in his presence. The incense was strong on that evening. A second observation is that there was a remarkable spirit of camaraderie at the conference. I hung out with my old Protestant friends, some new Protestant friends, and the spirit of festivity I always think is overwhelmingly on the Protestant side of things. Presbyterians, Baptists, Anglicans, and Lutherans, uh, no, not the Lutherans. They like to drink alone. But, you know, still the Presbyterians and Baptists and the Anglicans, the after parties were fabulous displays of friendship and I think a genuine concern to see a distinctly Protestant reformational political theology and philosophy lead the way in this new blossoming movement. Now, I am one of those dogmatic Presbyterians that believe that a sola scriptura view of the world is the only future for a prosperous nation. And of course, none of this means that I can't fellowship or work with Roman Catholics and Jews, even though Protestants are my primary allies, the Roman Catholics and the conservative Jewish population are undoubtedly co-belligerents, and I'm very honored to work alongside them. And my fellowship with them was also sublime. The third observation in the party, let's talk about Dr. Yoram Hassoni. His book, uh, Conservatism, A Rediscovery, is the philosophical foundation of much of the national conservatism. It is steeped in deep historical and even biblical insights. Yoram is an Orthodox Jew with a great mind, but also an impressively friendly demeanor. And as a Protestant, I never felt so welcomed as I did when Yoram did his talk. Yoram acknowledges that he is swimming in the Protestant sea in this nation, and he sees the recovery of biblical Christianity as the root of a renewed country. And so I'm so grateful for his invitation, how welcoming he made me feel. He's the kind of guy you meet and immediately sense a, a very deep bond. And special kudos also to my dear friend, Dr. Clifford Humphrey, who made all of this happen. I'll be forever grateful for his, his influence and his invitation and the fruit of so many lovely conversations. The fourth thing is that the talks and the panels were just superb. And I urge you to take a, a listen to them on YouTube. They are encouraging, and not only that, but they're going to stir you to action. A special note to my new friends, Joe Rigney, uh, James Wood and Megan Basham's talks, they were, again, rooted in biblical wisdom and the kind of politicking that collects the right kind of enemies. The panels were also superb, by the way, uh, especially the Protestant panel discussing the evangelical compromise, even among many leaders in our day. Uh, the problem with winsomeness, that's a talk that I encourage you to listen to by my new friend James Wood, and the distinct voices from Protestant theologians who have been advocating for quite some time for a national politics that seeks to defend those nearest to us before considering those farthest. There ought to be a distinct way in which we who live in this country find the concerns of our country to be primary 
And there are voices within the Protestant tradition that advocate it for such a thing. And of course, we would strongly advocate for that kind of reality to take place in places like Brazil, Poland, and Italy, especially as Italy takes a center stage these days. Fifth, I want to quote Roger Scruton as the paradigmatic conservative when he writes the following. This is a great quote, so stay with me here. This is from How to Be a Conservative. He writes, quote, Conservatism starts from a sentiment that all mature people can readily share, the sentiment that good things are easily destroyed, but not easily created. This is especially true of the good things that come to us as collective assets, peace, freedom, law, civility, public spirit, the security of property and family life, in all of which we depend on the cooperation of others while having no means single-handedly to obtain. In respect of such things, the work of destruction is quick, easy, and exhilarating. The work of creation, slow, laborious, and dull. That is one of the lessons of the 20th century. It is also one reason why conservatives suffer such a disadvantage when it comes to public opinion. Their position is true, but boring. That of their opponents, exciting, but false. Close quote. The gem out of this, there's several things to pull out, but, but the reality is that conservatives too easily succumb to pressures and they find themselves desiring backroom compromises every time they celebrate a little victory. So what we need is a conservatism that knows what it wishes to conserve and then moves steadily, plodding along, seeking to change public opinion and public law. That's something we ought to keep in mind. I think the many healthy voices in the national conservative movement, especially in the Protestant side of things, have that vision. We need to press on and acknowledge that this sort of reality where people think there's neutrality in the public square is only a reality for those who wish to impose their ideology in the public square. Every time Christian voices say the public square needs to be neutral, what they're actually saying is that they're okay with another voice that is not Christian to take the central place in the public square. And that's a danger in the way we think about categories and the way we think about a political philosophy in our day. The sixth observation is that there is an incredible momentum since the overturning of Roe to keep pressing on. We can't simply be content with the reversal of Roe to the states. We need to also abolish abortion in the entirety of the country. And then we need to move to Obergefell. And then we need to abolish any other law that stands against the Lord and his anointed. I'm not opposed to incremental changes at the state level. But the ultimate goal for every Christian and ultimately for every Christian society is to make sure that the deacons of righteousness in Romans 13 actually pass righteous laws in the entire country. And whether this happens in the early stages through individual states like Florida or Alabama or Mississippi or other states around the country, that's irrelevant at this point. But we need to grasp the ultimate goal here, which is to abolish these evil practices and change the hearts and minds of people to see these kinds of things, to see this reality played out. But the final observation is I am actually quite encouraged by the state of the church today. This may not appear to be related to NatCon, but it is because as I have argued in the article, you'll see this in the show notes, in my 10 Theses of Ecclesiastical Conservatism, I do not believe that anything functions without the blessing and worship of God's people. We do not change hearts without the means to change hearts, which are word and sacrament. I am encouraged 
because mainline denominations are entering into the stage of death, while faithful congregations are increasing in numbers and fighting the good fight. We are moving into a negative universe, if I can borrow Aaron Rand's category here, and we need a positive universe, which can only be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ through the ministry of his local churches. So yes, I am encouraged by NETCON and the National Conservative Revival, and I'm very hopeful if I can have a small role to be engaged in the years to come. Thanks for joining us at The Perspectivalist. I'm your host, Yuri Brito. We'll see you next time, and may the Lord be with you. <laughs>